we tend to forget that there's a whole other audience joining us every week. I happened to be a part of that last week because we were in New Orleans, and so we watched the uh, uh, online service. Trent, you did a great job. And uh, by the way, it was that's you had three people clap for you, so that's <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I was well, I was clapping, but you know I have a Bible in my head, you know. But you really did a great job. Uh, and uh, uh, and and then it was also neat to uh, uh, even online be able to participate in praying for those that responded. I love the fact that no one comes alone here. We're all in this thing together, right? Nobody has all, everything all together. Uh, we're all just beggars telling other beggars where to find the bread of life. And that's, uh, that's what this thing in Christianity is all about. Uh, uh, there's some kind of sporting event later on today I heard about. I heard Louisiana people weren't watching it. <laughs> We won't go into that, but we probably do need a lesson on how to not harbor uh, bad, you know, how to let go of stuff, Trent, how to let go. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, a little bit of that, a uh, little bit of that will come to today's lesson, by the way. It wasn't meant to be that way. It just kind of fell that way. Uh, we're going to be, we've been in this theme of follow me. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Christ? And that's a, uh, uh, you, you I think sometimes we make it more difficult than it is. It's not difficult to understand. It's just difficult to practice in your life and in my life. That, at least that's where I'm at. And so uh, uh, as, as uh, Trent and Ryan a few weeks ago laid out the future theme for this whole year was really getting back to basics of just following Jesus and what does that look like in your life? What does that look like in my life? What did it look like in the life of people in the New Testament when they were called to follow Jesus and uh, when those first disciples uh, were called and what happened. What, what about those drop net moments? Remember that? time You just need to drop your net and follow. And what are some of those things we keep kind of hanging on to and dragging the net behind us? It gets hung on everything, you know, and doesn't let us follow the way we, ought to, way we need to follow Jesus. And so uh, regardless of what background we come from, it doesn't matter where you grew up, it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter the beliefs that were instilled in you even as a kid one way or another, when you become an adult and you start to have this interaction or meeting with Jesus, there's something that says, okay, what am I going to do with this man, more than man, God in the flesh, who's called me to follow him? And how's that, how does that work? Well, there are some things, I think, that keep us from following him fully the way we need to. Now remember, remember, uh, uh, everybody with me? Look here. Remember Peter? We talked about one of the first lessons. You have the initial follow me moment. Then later on in the middle of Mark, he tells him to follow him again. That's going to have to deny yourself and take up a cross. And there's a, this. And then at the very end of his life, after the resurrection, Jesus is there with Peter saying, feed my sheep and sells him again. Follow me, and it's going to even take you to a death like mine. So there's this consistent initial following, a growing in our following, and even following all the way, all the way to death. And so there are things along that journey, I think, that kind of stranglehold us. 
they sometimes keep us from really following the way that we want to, the way that God wants us to. And so we need to be released or unleashed or find the freedom to follow Jesus the way that God wants us to. And so the next few weeks, we're going to talk about finding the freedom to follow. And, uh, uh, and in order to do that, we've got to break some things. And we call these things strongholds. So if you'll turn in your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to just talk about a few of these here today. You know, uh, I'm going to kind of deal, deal with what this means, what are strongholds, what's he talking about in this particular context. Trent is going to deal later with some very specific things that are strongholds. Uh, whether it's uh, jealousy, whether it's guilt, whether it's shame, where some of those very specific things and how to let go of those where there are no longer strongholds in your life. But uh, today's more kind of an introduction to this breaking the strongholds and finding the freedom to follow Jesus, okay? That kind of gets us where we are. So in Second Corinthians chapter 10, now, before we read this, Paul's written this first nine chapters. And matter of fact, the very end of chapter nine, it's almost like he's ending a book. And this last section is a whole nother section of which it's almost like the other side of Paul's personality starts coming out. Because now he's having to defend himself and uh, he really didn't want to have to be bold with him in person, but now it looks like he's going to have to be, even though he'd been gentle with him in the past when he was there, writing in some bold things. But now, if I've got to come to you and deal with this, I will type attitude, you know. And so uh, he gets ready here. Now, there's been some people in this church who were religious legalists. Now, you talk about something that will be a stronghold in your life. If you were taught legalism when you were a kid, you're still fighting that battle of that being a stronghold in your life, I guarantee you. And so Paul's going to address these Judaizing teachers that, that, have, that have crept into the Corinthian church. He's going to defend who he is and the kinds of things that he does to war against that kind of, those kinds of strongholds. So he starts out by writing in chapter 10. Let's do a little reading. By the humility and gentleness of Christ. I love that he picks up the two qualities of Jesus, meek and gentle. And now he's trying to follow that same characteristic in his own life. In dealing with these people. By the way, that word gentleness there comes from a phrase. Some of your versions may say... A reasonable sweetness. Uh, it's an intellectual. You've reasoned to something on how to treat people a certain way. Now, that's going to be important because he says, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am, quote, timid when face to face with you. That's why you know, they're accusing him of being that anyway, right? But bold towards you went away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. He says, I get it. There's some folks out there living by the world, and, and I'm, I'm probably going to have to be bold when I get to them because they think that's how everybody ought to live. 
For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Important, important point here. You and I are in a war. And he's going to go and describe this war. This is a battle. We're in a battle, spiritual battle, but this is a battle in this particular context of the mind. It's going to be a battle of the thinking. And he says we need to recognize we're in a war. The weapons we fight with, I love this, are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Divine power. Say that with me. Divine power. Say it again. Divine power. One more time. Divine power. Many of us do not know what we have with us inside our hearts and inside our minds when we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit's Word that we can trust in. We have the forgiveness of God. We have the promises of God. We have the identity as God's children. And so we have access to divine power. That's going to be important. Because I don't know, have you ever just tried to do something of your own will power? I mean, this is what? We just started February? How's that diet going from January? <laughs> so they quit preaching, went to meddling right there. Yeah. How's that willpower working out for you? I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to. By the way, I, I mean, I'm all being healthy, but don't get in the way of being, you know, having fun. Uh, but uh, I, I learned that. You know what? I ain't going to die healthy. Uh, now I don't want to hurry up the process, but uh, I want to make the most of every opportunity here in life to, you know, have, do things for the kingdom. But my own power and ability to make things happen. Are you kidding? It just takes one visit to the doctor to realize how lack, much lack of power you have over your own body anyway, right? We don't have to depend on that. It's not of my own ability to muster up this strength. The power that I'm going to have over, uh, to be able to demolish some things is going to come from God. It's divine. It's divine power. It's not human power. It's divine power to demolish something. He says here's what they demolish. Strongholds. Now what in the world does he mean when he talks about strongholds? The word stronghold here is the word for fortress. Uh, it's like a beachhead. Something that's been built up in some, somewhere, okay? And so he goes on in this next verse to describe and tell you a little bit what strongholds are. We demolish Arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient. Now, let's talk about that a minute. The strongholds in this context, he's not talking about, I mean, it obviously it would be some of the physical sins that grab us, the addictions, the, the, uh, the, the sexual immorality, the drunkenness, those things that, that, uh, that we fought, that we left, should have left, right, with the world. And some of those kinds of things that we battle physically, that, they're there. Those sins are there. But it's really not about that. 
This is about the arguments, he says. It's about the arguments and the pretensions. It's about the ideal beliefs in your mind. This is where the battle is. See, the strongholds that keep you and I from following Jesus the way we really need to are something that exists in our mind because we believed something that was false. For example, uh, this, this would deal with intellectualism, materialism, atheism, communism, all the other isms that come along, hedonism, all those things that, that somehow or another got formed in our minds. It's a pattern of thinking that becomes a stronghold that keeps you from following Jesus. So, are there things that you believe and you're thinking in your mind that you have thought are right, but they're wrong and they keep you from following Christ the way you really need to. Things like uh, well, you know, I'm just never going to be good enough. I've tried and I tried, and I just I just can't overcome that one particular sin in my life. Satan, remember, is the father of all what? Lies. Liars. So anytime he can catch you vulnerable and place a pattern of thinking in your mind that keeps you from identifying who you really are in Christ, he's going to do that. And if that stays there long enough and gets embedded, then it becomes a stronghold. Got it? So sometimes it's your own insecurities. I can never do this. I can, I can never understand the Bible. I've tried to read it. I can't do that. I, I, I can't really get up front and do anything. I, can't, I don't have any talent for God. I, I can't be used in the kingdom. On and on and on again are embedded lies and fears that Satan has placed in your mind and in your heart that become strongholds that keep you from being that full-fledged, convicted, committed disciple and following Jesus the way that we need to be. And I say it's time we learn to break the strongholds in our minds. It's those arguments that Satan gets in places in our heart. Well, you know, I just seems like every time I'm make a decision about a relationship, I I always decide the wrong thing. Satan would love to make you think you can't make a good decision about a relationship. But you know what? He made you. Here's his manual. Seek it. It'll tell you how to have a good one. You can make a good decision. And you can have a good relationship. Well, I'll never be happy in this marriage because, I mean, they're never going to change. Well, you know what? Thank you for playing God like you know the future. You know? So I'm going to tell you something. Playing God will wear you out. You and I aren't designed for it. You never know how somebody's going to be in the future. You don't know what God can do to their heart and mind. And and what happens is you give over to a belief system that Satan gave you that something's impossible and you've swallowed it hook, line, and sinker and it becomes a stronghold in your mind and in your marriage to where you give up on following God and you pursue being happy. 
Oh, by the way, that's another lie that Satan puts in our mind, right? I deserve to be... Who told you that? You deserve to be happy. A lot of I statements in Satan's lies. Do you ever notice that? Now, I can have all the joy of the Lord and more than I can stand when I'm following Jesus. Because that's produced by the Holy Spirit, not me. But when I'm trying to shape my circumstances to in order to make my life pleasurable, there's a lot of me involved and it never works out very good. And it will always be a stronghold to keep you from following Jesus the way you need to. See, what we remember the wise man said in Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. So if I can't understand that God created me with a mind to imagine, that's a creative part of being like God, by the way, in his image, imagine. That I have the ability to imagine and dream, and God has the ability to do way more than I imagine and dream, remember? But I got a dream for God, not for me. Where are the young men that dream dreams and the, the and are young daughters and sons that have visions? Where are those folks for the kingdom that says we can do something great for the kingdom's sake? And all of a sudden, our mind is starts starts planning about what God's accomplishing instead of about what makes me happy. We got to get the dreams and thinking going out this way instead of bringing everything in this way. Does that make sense to you? These become strongholds when we give in to wrong thinking. You and I cannot continue to propagate a lie in our mind and it not be a stronghold that keeps us from following Jesus as a disciple. Now, there are personal strongholds you and I battle with. There are um, cultural strongholds. By the way, cultural strongholds tend to always, most strongholds are like this, they tend to always have a blind spot. Say blind spot. Blind spot. How could people who claim to be Christians and, and, and follow Jesus live in a world years ago when Germany are executing the millions of Jews and stand back and not say anything or act like somehow or another that's right. How could that be? What a cultural blind spot got developed by a faulty belief system. How could religious leaders and churches in our own nation somehow or another stand up and say that, that someone of a different color is less of a human being and doesn't have the rights that I have? How could religious people, men of God, do that? That's a, a, a culture developed that infiltrated the church and embedded in the mind of believers and put up a blind spot as to what was really right. And shame on us for not standing up against that kind of mess. It's not right. Racism has no place among God's people in any country, in any place. And it has no place in this church. Yet, 
We went through a time in our history where there were blind spots. Even good-hearted people got caught up into a faulty belief that got embedded in their mind and even passively agreed. You see how strongholds get developed? Sometimes they're not personal. Sometimes they're cultural. Sometimes they're religious. How could people claim to seek God and want to do right who feel very vulnerable in life and are looking for something and open their minds up to the point that they gradually follow a guy all the way down to South America and drink the Kool-Aid and thousands are laying dead who follow Jim Jones? How could that happen? You talk about the blind spots that Satan uses when he infiltrates and embeds in the minds of people faulty beliefs. So Mikey said a whole lot about the, about the strongholds out there and about how they're there and they sound pretty dangerous. I mean, what can I do about them? Well, I'm going to let Trent handle all that later. <laughs> no, I'll tell you a little bit about today. By the way, some of those ones... Trent and I were talking about this the other day. Personal strongholds like shame. You had an affair in your marriage. And yet, this, even though you are forgiven and your mate's forgiven you, the stronghold of shame and guilt and knowing how to get rid of that so that you can start seeing yourself as a forgiven, grace-filled, Holy Spirit-filled child of God who is going to inherit whatever Jesus inherits, made holy by the blood of Jesus. You can't see your identity because of the embedded lie that Satan keeps throwing at you that you really can't be ever forgiven that. And he keeps bringing it up time and time again. And you just got to say, get behind me, Satan, right? Those are difficult things. But there are things that really, really strangle people in their Christian walk. And guess what? If you feel that way, then you don't feel like God can use me in all my mess-ups. There are so many other people in the family that are better than I am that let them lead. Let them have people in their house. Let them be a small group. I could never do that. Are you kidding? God's in the business of turning your mess into a message. That's why Jesus died. You are valuable to the kingdom. You can be a disciple and a learner. That's what the word disciple means. But, but we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to have the humility to keep learning. It can't always be about the past. You know what? If I'm correct, yesterday really did end last night. Just think about that one. I need to let it in. And think about moving ahead and following Jesus. Well, so there are personal strongholds. There are cultural strongholds. There are religious strongholds. And, and they all are open to attack through the lies of Jesus, if we don't 
understand and use the divine power that we have. The divine power, he says in the context, demolishes strongholds. That's the idea of bringing them down, pulling them down. That's what the word means. Demolishes those. Takes those things down. Now, what are those powerful things in divine power that can do that? Well, just think about the Ephesians passage in chapter 6 where he tells about the armor of God. Right? And one of the very things he said is the sword of the Spirit, the word of truth. Right? Do you understand the need for us to get into this book like we've never been into it before? Because reading and digesting and eating and getting nourishment from this book is so vital. Look, false doctrine and false teachers exist and they always have existed to attack the church. And they embed false teaching to, to cause people to lose hope in the very moment that they need it. I saw it this week. Satan does not want you to believe there's hope when there is. Look, the grace of God and the truth of God is enough. Jesus said he came full of grace and truth, and that's what we need to be full of too. Grace and truth. But we've, you know, we, we need to understand the need to be nourished by this book. You need to examine what I teach. And you need to open it up, and you need to study for yourself, and you need to say, God, lead me in this, and pray in the Holy Spirit, and ask, is this the true Word of God that I'm hearing? Because I'm telling you, not every preacher that stands up and preaches is preaching the truth of the Word of God. Satan still uses false teaching from men who claim to be religious to take us off course. And you can always tell it because they always start emphasizing something other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Something else becomes way more important than the gospel in their world. And when you start seeing that, when, when they'll gloss over the gospel and quickly get to their doctrine that they want to embed in your mind, then you but a red flag ought to go up and say, wait a minute, I'm about the gospel. Other things are not going to get first importance. It is first importance, and it's staying first importance. That's what I love about this church at this place. The gospel stays first. Number one. And that means sometimes you've got to be willing with divine power, the Word of God, to confront those who do not teach the Word of God. Otherwise, all kinds, just like in the Corinthian church, false teaching. There were even some there denying the resurrection. They were denying that Jesus came out of the ground. That steals hope from everyone. And it existed in a church. You know why I'm always on you about getting in a Bible class? Getting in a daily reading of this book? Because if we lose focus and other good things become focused that, but they're not really the main thing, Here's what happens. We'll join forces with people who believe totally different things for what's good. And the world will always, they'll back you about that. So I read the other day where there was a group gathered up. It was some Protestants, Catholicism, Muslims. 
Hindu, and they, and they were all gathered for a conference about morality. And there's a part of me that says, oh, man, that's, that's good. People are joined together about what's right and wrong. And finally, maybe all of these voices could all say the same thing about abortion or say the same thing about this particular moral issue, this particular moral and you know what? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm proud for anybody to espouse good moral teachings from God. But that ain't our purpose. Our purpose is to give hope to everyone that's trapped in those sinful situations because of the story of Jesus. And... It, And while I appreciate the stand of morality for people, and I think we need to stand for something in the church, our first priority is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the story of the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, Ascension and second coming of Jesus. That is the main thing. And I am not partners with those who do not teach the gospel. I can appreciate them and I can love them and I can accept and hug and pray. But that's not who I'm a brother in Christ with. My main thing is the gospel. And I don't care if there's three of us or 30 of us or 300 of us. I'm only going to go to war with those who are committed to this book and to that message. I've got to keep that clear in my mind. Because Satan will take those issues of beliefs and trick my mind into thinking that I can partner with people who don't even have a hope in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We love everybody. But everybody ain't committed to the gospel. And it don't take long reading in the New Testament where you find Jesus saying, it's going to cost you your family. This, This may cost you your livelihood. This may cost you your reputation. This may cost you your financial stability. It may cost you your life to be a disciple. Strongholds of Satan are arguments that say you can follow without it really costing you that much. Strongholds will always give you an answer to show you an easier way to follow. You don't really have to forgive that brother that did a bad business deal with you. I mean, he can just sit on the other side of the auditorium. You don't have to forgive him. It's okay. You can, you know, you can still be a believer. You can still follow Jesus. And you don't have to be that honest, you know, in your business. You yeah, mistake here. You can still follow Jesus. I don't want us to get deceived by Satan. And allow strongholds to get embedded in our hearts. Where they become fears. And they become deterrents to really being a disciple at the, at the time we need it the most. Because that's when those falsehoods get revealed, by the way.
So, he says the next thing in the text, you have to take captive those thoughts. And you do something with them. You can't keep from having a thought, but you can take it captive and do something with it when you have it. Okay? This is the battlefield of the mind. It's a difficult thing, I understand. When you look at our TVs, I mean, if you're sitting in your living room and a couple walked in, married to other people, not each other, and they just got on your couch and committed adultery in front of you, what would you, what would you say? Would you say, are you kidding me? You're doing that right here in front of me? Would you let that walk in your house and do that? Well, no. No. No, we just turn it on and watch it. Still affects us. I mean, what if somebody walked in your house, they took your garbage can, instead of bringing it back to your back door, they just rolled it in full of trash and just dumped it in your living room. We said, no, you can't do that. That, that doesn't belong in here. So at some point in the Christian's life as a disciple, we have to start saying to the messages around us, that doesn't belong in my living room. That doesn't belong in my mind. That doesn't belong. That garbage has got to go somewhere else. I can't keep on having, uh, getting familiar and live around the garbage without starting to smell like it somewhere down the road. But Satan would love to, loves to make us think that. So he always does it with statements like this. Well, my, it really isn't. I mean, there's really nothing. There's really nothing wrong with with having a, a having a beer from time to time, is there? Now, now, don't worry. If you just had a beer before you came to church, I'm not condemning you to hell. Okay? It ain't about that. It's about the mentality that seeps in and embeds itself, the reasoning in our mind that all of a sudden starts looking for things that we can or can't do. It's the thinking behind, can I do this or not? Well, it's not wrong for me to sit in the bar if I don't get drunk, right? So it's the, it's the, it's the mindset. It's, you, gotta, you understand what I'm trying to say? It's the reasoning in our mind that is the culprit. It's not the act of whether you can or can't do something. It's not about that. It's not about can I drink a glass of wine with my meal? Well, sure you can. You know, and I know, I know, I know some of us, the way I grew up, I would have always, I always would have felt better if Jesus had turned wine into water, right? I mean, come on. That would have fit my theology a lot better, right? Then I could rail on that thing and preach, you know. But he didn't. He turned it into wine just to frustrate all of us religious fanatics that try to prove it. You know, I, mean, I don't know why he did it, but but it's not about that thing. Got it? It's about the mindset that I'm going to reason and prove what I can and can't do. It's that arguing. The text says that arguments and pretenses that are inside my mind that takes me down a road that embeds a thought process to me that all of a sudden will cause me to swallow a false argument and become a stronghold to keep me from being a disciple. And that will only be demolished by divine 
power. And that's from God's Word, God's Spirit, and the help of God's people. That's where we start figuring out how to demolish those things. Okay? I know it's probably been a difficult thing for you to follow and understand because I'm just kind of talking about the text today. I really don't have the, uh, the, I don't have the five C's of a sermon, Trent, that you're supposed to have and, you know, or those kinds of points or whatever. I just want you to be aware and be conscious that you and I, we guard our hearts, guard our minds, be humble enough to learn. Anytime we start saying things and proving what we can or can't do, pride is right there. I mean, it's right there. This needs to be about what will it take for me to be a full-fledged disciple that never turns back. That's what I'm talking about. It's that heart and attitude. Remember, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's not about information. It's about transformation. And we're asking God to change us to be disciples the way that he wants us to be. Father, we love you. Whew, this old war we fight, the battle out here with spiritual forces, the battle inside our own minds, we pray, Father, we will follow the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that we will depend upon divine power and weapons that you give us, that we will demolish strongholds, that we will recognize false teachings that have tried to embed themselves in our minds and we'll get rid of them. And I pray, Father, we will be stronger biblically, spiritually, than we've ever been before. We want to be raised up to be mature disciples that make disciples. Father, we want to we want to take as many people to heaven as we can. And I know Satan loves to discourage us with strongholds. And for my brothers and sisters that are sitting right here in this room, I pray that you would break strongholds in their hearts and minds. Sometimes those are thoughts of self-image, insecurities, guilt, shame. Remove them all. Help them to see that when they're in Christ, they're a new creation. They are more than conquerors. They are victors. They are co-heirs with Jesus. Help us to identify ourselves as your children and to claim that to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a need today, we'd love to pray with you. You can come while we stand and while we sing.